so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Uh, there's, uh, you've, you've probably heard the song, it's a bit of an old one now. I think it was old even when I was not old. Um, but that song that says, From a Distance... God is watching us. And it's all about from a distance. And I think the song's trying to be affirming that, you know, God's got his eye on us, but the emphasis is on it's from a distance, that there's this gulf between where God is and where humanity is. And it actually captures uh, the historical sense of what most people throughout human history have believed. Most human societies have had a belief in, in, in the divine, in, in a, a god or gods, uh, but those gods are distant. You can think of Greek mythology. I remember seeing a meme of like the Greeks, ancient Greeks believed that all the gods lived on the top of Mount Olympus, which isn't really that high, but no one ever bothered to walk up there and check. Um, but the, the idea of it was that the, the gods were, were distant, separate, uh, and when they did descend, if we're thinking Greek mythology, they, they did nasty stuff when they interacted with humanity. But uh, humanity has had this concept of a God, but mostly it's of a distant, far-off, disconnected God. That there's something out there, someone or something or some ones that we need to appease. And, and so this is the concept of most religions. This has been, uh, you know, if, you, if every uh, human throughout history got together and had a vote on their concept of God, I believe that one would win. Yes, there's a God, uh, but he, she or them are distant and might be watching us from a distance for good or for ill. And it's actually the, the, the Old Testament concept of, of who God is is something like that. It's a bit, it's a bit different to the world religions. They believe that in, 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 in the Old Testament that, that God's manifest presence was in the temple, at the temple, uh, went with the Ark of the Covenant, that God was present amongst his people in that sense. But, but also there was this sense, because of the sin that had divided humanity from God, there's this sense that God was untouchable unapproachable. We see when Israel are exiled from Egypt and they gather at Mount Sinai and the mountain shakes and rumbles and Moses goes up to meet with God and gets the Ten Commandments, that big Old Testament story about the initiation of Israel and their law and relationship with God after exile. The people say, oh Moses, you talk to God because that's a bit scary. If we come into his presence... Will die, and so uh, there's this same sense in, in in the Old Testament scriptures in the Jewish faith of, of a God that is far off and he's distant, and and that is the human kind of understanding of God throughout most of history, in all religions, including our own. And so the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus that Matthew tells us about in in Matthew chapter one, and Luke tells us about in um, in his gospel is profound for that very reason. The, the Old Testament faith is unique. Uh, what would have, we would have understand as the Jewish faith or the faith of Israel is unique amongst the nations but still has that understanding that God is distant but, but 
what, what the Old Testament gives us is an understanding that that is not because the gods are nasty and mean and horrible. That is not because creation was chaotic and happened out of a cosmic battle between different gods and bloop, creation birthed out of that and they created people to feed them. These are some of the other ancient creation myths. The Old Testament faith of Israel, Jewish faith, what, what we embrace as followers of Jesus, it teaches that there's a reason for that distance. That humanity had rejected God's instruction. And so now there is a void between us caused by sin. Yet, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, about the birth of this baby, uh, if you're not here this morning, you'll be missing our, because just off the screen, fantastic nativity set, the most historically accurate one you'll ever see, uh, not really, um, unless we believe that Jesus was born at the age of about five um, at birth. <laughs> Um, but it's great to, to physically, visibly represent that. Um, this birth of this child, uh, Matthew sums up this way. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so hundreds of years before the birth of a baby that in his human, on his birth certificate, would bear the name of Jesus. Hundreds of years before that, a prophet named Isaiah prophesied that he would be called Emmanuel. God with us. And so in the birth of Jesus, this historical chasm between the divine and humanity is bridged. God is with us. And so the significance of this resonates across history for every religion. It counters that belief that God is far off. It counters the distance that we created between God in our sin. The scriptures tell us that there is no way that we could have bridged that gap. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far as his thoughts are from us, there's no way that we could have climbed high enough to reach him. And it's not been for lack of trying. Those at uh, Babel sought to build a tower high enough to reach the heavens. In more modern times, we've been firing rockets off and um, that's probably not with the understanding in modern days. Uh, I'm not part of NASA but, or SpaceX or anything like that. I don't think they have the concept of like, if we shoot a rocket far enough, we'll find God. Uh, but it's not through lack of trying from physical effort and it's not through lack of trying from trying to be righteous enough through works of the law to reach God. Um, no matter how hard humanity tries, we cannot bridge the gap. And so there is the significance that in the birth of Jesus, it's not us with God. It is God with us. It's not just near, but with. And he's not just with us in terms of he came to earth. He's with us in he was born like us. He took on flesh 
like us. He was tempted like us. He's with us, not just in in physical proximity and presence. He's with us in the human experience. God is with us in Jesus. That is the shift that happens on the first Christmas day. God is with us. And this idea is key to the entire gospel of Matthew. It's key to the entire Christian faith. But I want to flip to the end of Matthew's gospel now. And if if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to think what, before you flip there to the very end of Matthew's gospel, what are the last words in Matthew's gospel? Yes, gold star to Leslie. I will be with you to the end of the age. It's the Great Commission. It's then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, he sorry, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is saying that his birth, this Emmanuel moment, was not a 33-year blip in history where God was with his people. Matthew's gospel is bookended with the prophetic announcement been said to be, it's about this event. Isaiah said the virgin would be, would be with child and give birth and he would be called Emmanuel. And so Matthew's gospel begins by saying, that is this moment. And it ends with Jesus saying, I am still Emmanuel to the end of the age. This is not a blip in history. This is a transformation of the relationship between God and humanity in which if that song had once been true well before it was written, God is watching us from a distance, it is no longer true. God is with us in flesh, in spirit, in experience of humanity. That is the beginning and the end of Matthew's gospel. And so everything in between we're to understand in that conceptualization that this is about God being with us, what it looks like when God walks and lives and breathes amongst his creation. It's not, though, just the book ending of Matthew's gospel. It's, in fact, the book ending of the entire Christian scripture. In one of the earliest chapters of the entire Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we read this. Uh, This is after they ate the naughty fruit, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, We're told, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And so this is after they've disobeyed God and this kind of sets off, if we think the last couple of years of COVID have been like, oh, the last couple of years, this sets off the entire course of human history in their struggles with relationship with God. And we can criticise them, but we've made the same choice every single day, pretty much. But the implication of that moment is, though it's not recorded before then, that God walking in the garden amongst his created people was a common experience. That God was with Adam and Eve. 
that the shift in the relationship came with their sin, that, that instead of engaging in relationship with God when they heard the sound of him walking in the garden, I wonder what that sounded like, but they heard the sound of God walking in the garden and they hid this time. That's the implication. And, and so the scriptures begin with God creating the heavens and the earth. God creating uh, a man and a woman and calling them very good and him engaging in relationship with them, walking amongst the garden with them. But that's also how the story ends. Not in a garden, but in a city. In Revelation, towards the end of the Christian scriptures, end of your Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 5, we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful, beautifully dressed for a husband. And so this is John in a, a supernatural vision, uh, encountering what is now and what is to come. And so this is the, the part of Revelation that is about what is to come. We, we spent some time earlier in the year looking at the first few chapters of Revelation. This is jumping uh, to the end about what is to come. And so in verse 3 it says, of chapter 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so Matthew's gospel begins with telling us that the birth of this man named Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. It ends with Jesus asserting that he will be God with us to the very end of the age, until this moment happens. The rest of the New Testament unpacks that that is, that is manifest by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that God is with us and even in the Holy Spirit in us. But even broader than that, the entire Christian scripture begins with God with us. And it's all about Him working history towards the ultimate wrapping up where he can be with us again in a way where there is now no more weeping no more suffering no more crying no more pain and so when we see jesus in his earthly ministry in his life when we see him healing those with leprosy when we see him casting out uh, evil spirits when we see him raising the dead in Lazarus, when we see him doing those things, when we see him turning water into wine, when we see him speaking truth with authority, when we see Jesus in his earthly ministry, that is a foretaste of what the end will look like when the dwelling place of God is with his people. Paul said about this stuff, for now we see in part, we, we saw it in part in Jesus' earthly ministry. He didn't heal everybody on earth. 
We see it in part when, when we, in the name of Jesus, pray and see healing or deliverance. We see that in part now, but we await the fullness when Jesus makes all things new. That's, that's the fullness of what God with us looks like. And so th- this year at Christmas... You know, this is not the first time I've, I've had a sermon titled Emmanuel at Christmas as a pastor this time, so it's kind of like, well, you kind of got a narrowed focus uh, when you come to Christmas and Easter, and there is that sense of, well, what, what, do you, what do you bring that's new? And so I know the idea of Jesus being God with us uh, is not new, but I want to encourage us this year as we journey towards Christmas Day and... and um, I've heard a few people say, and I've said myself, it feels this year like we're crashing into Christmas, that like life has been so, some word for that, unspeakable, <laughs> can't fit a word, insert your own word in that space, life has been so something this year, um, that it feels like we're crashing into Christmas. But I want us to grab this moment this morning, and, and as we move forward towards Christmas Day, to grab just that word. Emmanuel, and to think about what does that mean? That God is not watching us from a distance. That there was a chasm between us, but but he launched himself across that divide to land with us in flesh and blood as a baby in the most humble of circumstances. To think about what it means for the one who heals to be with us, for the one who casts out that which is evil, for the one who cleanses that which is leprous, for the one who speaks truth, for the one who is tempted yet not sins. What does it look like for God to be with you? And how should that shape your life? How should that shape your hopes and expectations when you think about that is a promise to the very end of this age? And then it just gets upgraded after that. Where the totality, not totalitarian, the totality of our experience will be the complete manifestation of God's presence. I want us to grab that word, Emmanuel. You can spell it with an I, you can spell it with an E. It means the same thing. And think about what does that mean for me this Christmas I want to end this morning's message though with a reminder that God is not just with us he is for us it's not you know as I said the many of the historical religions throughout history throughout human history, have had this sense of God is distant, but they've also had this sense of uh, God is malevolent or the gods are malevolent, um, that we have to feed them or they'll get cranky. We have to you know, do all the right things or they'll get cranky and it won't rain or the crops will fail and things like that. And so I guess in that concept, if, if that's our concept of God, then the thought of Emmanuel, God with us, would be scary. We'd be like Israel at Mount Sinai saying, We don't want anything to do with him. Can you speak to him on our behalf, Moses? And so I want to finish with a reminder that God is not just with us. He is for us. 
And so if we stick with Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, there's many places we could go. But we'll jump into the middle of Matthew, where Jesus says this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 to 31. So do not be afraid of them, that's people, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in the ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And so Jesus is saying, don't, don't be afraid of people who could come against you and even kill you. He says that be afraid of the one who you know, can take your, not just your life, but your soul, and that's speaking of no one other than God. That you should, if you're going to be fearful of anyone, it should be God. But then he says... Of this God, not a sparrow falls to the ground outside of his care and you're worth a whole lot more than sparrows. He in fact has numbered the hairs on your head, which as I've said before is an easy account for some than others, but the whole point is that he knows you intimately and deeply and he is for you. And so because God is with us, the only one that we should have any fear for or about is God and God is caringly, lovingly and caringly for us. Or to put it in better words than I can put it, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, the Apostle Paul sums it up in this way. What, shall, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Of course, many people can be against us. Of course, we believe that even Satan himself is against us. But if God is for us, what does that even really matter? And so this Christmas, I want us to grab that God is with us and he is for us. He is Emmanuel and he is good. So let me pray. Um, and then we're gonna we might do another carol and a final song, if that's alright. Ladies, just got a brief message this morning. I want to give the kids plenty of time to party, but then we can enjoy a chat together. Don't need to drag it out. Um and so I'm going to pray for all of us as we enter in this Christmas season. It is a fact of life in the modern day that this time of year is very busy. Um, our social muscles have been atrophied by being locked at home in our, in our houses, working online and schooling online and things like that. Um, we're trying to cram more into these weeks, I think, than for, for many of us than normal because we're trying to catch up with all we missed out on. Um, so I really want to pray for us in that space that um, you know, Christmas is, is ultimately a day on the calendar but it's a reminder of 
um, this great truth that God is with us and for us. Um, so I'm going to pray that we, we uh, have peace through that season, that we have that sense of God with us through that season and that we don't lose our minds and lose our hope and lose our sense of God being with us in that season. So um, I encourage you to, to pray along with me, whatever that looks like for you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you um, as we turn our attention towards what we mark out as Christmas Day on our calendar. <clears throat> I pray that you would, uh, to use one of your other names, you would be the Prince of Peace for us in this season. As the restrictions lift and we try and rush into things and we, we have the busyness of this season and all of that, Lord, we pray that you would be our Prince of Peace, that your peace would reign in us in the midst of busyness. Help us to, say what, help us to know what to say yes to, what to say no to. Um, may we be guided by your wisdom in this season. And above all else, Lord, I pray that in this uh, Christmas season um, that we would be reminded of that word, Emmanuel, that God is with us and we would be reminded that he is for us. And so, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would remind us of that in each and every moment when we are feeling busy and crashing into Christmas. I pray that we would be reminded that God is with me. I pray that on the good moments when we're enjoying uh, the goodness of what you've provided for us in food and drink and, and relationship and family and friendship, I pray that we would be reminded in those moments that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and that we'd be thankful. I pray for, for those that... Uh, Christmas season can be one where, where loneliness and loss, um, particularly those who have lost loved ones throughout this year, where Christmas Day brings up uh, that sense of grief and despair. I pray that in those moments we would be reminded as well that God is with us and that God is for us. And so we thank you, Jesus, that in your birth you bridged the chasm between the divine and humanity. That we can now truly say forever and ever, God is with us. And finally, we thank you for the hope that we have that our eternal destiny in you will be to dwell in your presence forever. In which the things that we've seen a foretaste of will become the reality for all. No more suffering, no more crying, no more weeping, no more pain. And so I pray that this Christmas you would also fill us with the hope of that age to come. And we pray and we worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.